You are are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. So I'm super excited to welcome Robert Kiyosaki, Matthew Pollard, Francis Wolf, Mike Kennings, Eric Van Horn, Nir Al, Stefan Georgius, David Osborne, Samson Jagoras to Making Bank today. Dealing, you know, with entrepreneurs and you know, as we're entrepreneurs and growing, what would you say maybe your top three takeaways would be that they can start implementing today and that they can utilize to grow, whether it's their business or their personal life? Well, that was a uh, book number two. It's called the Cash Flow Quadrant. You know, the, the E stands for employee, and most people go to that's the book. <laughs> most people go to school to be employees. Or S stands for a small business or small entrepreneur or specialist, like a doctor or a lawyer. On the B and I side, that's big business, 500 employees or more. Or I stands for investor, but it's an insider. Uh, I invest from the inside. So the B and the I size like Shark Tank, you know, that's where Damon Johns and all those guys right. come from, Cuban. And they're big entrepreneurs and they're professional investors who invest from the inside, where E's and S's, they generally invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. So one of the decisions I made in, I, I, you know, I came back from Vietnam in 73, and I had to make a decision, was I gonna follow my poor dad's footsteps and become a school teacher or an E? Or my mother wanted me to be a doctor, an S. And I said, there's only one problem, Mom. Doctors are smart. She says, you're right. You're right. Better not do that. <laughs> and then my rich dad suggested I become a big business guy or an I. So that was, and, and, the, and the mindset and the education path is extremely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you know, most people <laughs> never make it to the B and the I side. It was tough. It was re- really, really a tough road. So there's only two ways you make it. You either have to have brains or you have to have guts. And I had more guts than brains being a former Marine, you know. So um, I just powdered my way through it. So so today I'm many, many companies and I make a lot of money as a inside investor. I don't play the stock market. That's, that's, those are the differences. Okay. For you, like, so somebody just kind of starting out that where, would then the best places be for them to start building their assets, you know, the, the whole asset side and investing, investing and everything. Since, you know, obviously we're not investing in the EFTs and the stock market and places like that. Well, uh, I think you better step back. You know, I think one of the reasons people aren't successful is that they, you know, in school you start small and you get smaller. <laughs> <laughs> and my, I was a student of Dr. R. Buckman's Fuller, one of the greatest futurists of all time. He visited the geodesic dome, and which was the U.S. Pavilion at Expo 67 in Montreal, Canada. He says, "You want to, if you want to see, you better step back and look from the big picture." So I stepped back, and in the world of investing, you know, the big hot, everybody is all upset about shadow banking. You know, I mean, give me a break. You know, if you're in e stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs, you're in traditional banking. Right. The rich are in shadow banking, and so I'm a shadow. I'm always in, sh- which is, I'm in shadow banking, which means I don't play by the same rules the guys at Wall Street play by. 
So I can kick their butts up one side and down the other all day long. Now, those same guys are ripping off a lot of people, which is why, you know, you got to be smarter to play that game. So I'm in private equity and, pri and you know, PE and private credit. I don't, I don't buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. That's not my game. So one of the things I suggest to people is, to young people, is you better step back and look at what game you want to play. Because as my rich dad said, there's a million ways you can go to heaven. There's also a billion ways you can go to hell, you know. And so what happens for most entrepreneurs is they wind up in hell because it's a hard road. It's really, really a tough road. And then the more successful you get, the more tempted you get. You know, lead us not into temptation. I'm not really religious. But, you know, this guy, Jeffrey Epstein, he had a good time. You know, he was that hedge fund guy that had all the young chicks. And I, I thought it was funny that he committed suicide. My friends who are doctors say that wasn't suicide. You know, he was taken out. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he was playing with the wrong, like the Clintons and all that. Sure. So one of the biggest things I recommend to young people is be legal, ethical, and moral. Because the more successful you get, the, the stronger the dark side gets. You know what I mean? And so the dark side is what you got to watch out for because that's the dark side comes out either when you're unsuccessful or you are successful. You know, when, when I was way down, I'd lost a lot of money. It had been easy to go dark. And then when I made a lot of money, I definitely went dark. <laughs> I got so tempted, man. You, know, you believe your own bullshit. You know, you know oh, I am such a stud. So it's just, you know, the, the game is played between your two ears. That's, that's the game. With everything that you're doing now and opening up multiple franchises, did you kind of stay focused on continuing to open up franchises at that point or? Yeah. So at that point I was, I had a regional development. So I had 42 locations that were basically under my, under my wing and I helped and I mentored all of the franchisees in that. And, and in return, I would get half of the royalties. So I bought that. And then in addition to having those 42 stores, I had 12 stores of my own over a nine year period. So I would buy them. I would, uh, from uh, starting from scratch, I would buy out existing ones and then I would uh, make them better and, and sell them. Um, and that's one of the things that I was doing. And I was mentoring a lot of franchisees along the way. So, and then I would go back and work for the corporate office selling franchises during the time when when we weren't running our franchises. So I just got to see all the inner workings. And one thing that was really interesting is seeing the franchise or franchisee relationship, because at times that could get strained. And especially in today's climate, there's a lot of new franchisees out there and there's a lot of strain that can happen. So um, I, I was the franchisee. I was a regional developer. So I was basically franchise or to different franchisees in my region. Okay. And then I had to I basically reported to the franchisor. So I was in the, I was a middleman in a lot of it. So that, what that helped me do is understand the, the pull from the franchisee and the pull from the franchisor. Um, then I, once I started to get all of that, I wanted to exit that business just because of some things that were coming down. I just didn't want to be in that tax business anymore. Right. It's really more of a marketing business than a tax business. Cause I'm more of a marketer. So I exited that. And that's really when I took all of my experience that I had 
um, and I started to buy other franchises. And then I was like, where do I, I knew a lot about an industry and a brand, but I didn't know a lot about other industries. So that's when I went into franchise consulting because I knew franchise consultants had access to brands that they could help other people buy. But they were really good at just getting, they had access to that stuff. They didn't have what I had. They didn't have the understanding of how business works, how franchising works as sure. an owner. And so I combined that and I, that's when I started to buy more brands and I, you know, that's when I really started to grow. And I started helping a lot of friends and family buy different brands because they would see what I was looking at and I would tell them and they're like, that looks interesting. I'll do that too. And so that's what I've been doing um, for the past, you know, almost 10 years you guys did 23 million in the first year Second what were year. some first year was terrible actually but yeah what i'm sorry the first year was actually pretty pretty brutal but the second year was the 23 million 23 million sorry okay what were some of the big successes whether it was one or two years <laughs> it was still good what were some of the big successes that you think that made like was it yeah you took it from zero to 23 million in two years for sure. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, the, the reason I, I was bringing up the first year is because it's good to look at the failures kind of first and then the successes. Definitely. Uh, and so just to kind of the, the first year, because the first year we did a million in revenue, but I lost like $200,000, which was pretty much all the money I saved away. Uh, right. So it actually was at the point where I thought I was going to have to shut it down and go get a job as a copy chief for somebody and had all of this self-doubt and all these uh, struggles. And so just as far as why that happened, it was a combination of like I understood one part of the business really well, which was the copywriting and marketing. Sure. But I didn't understand all of these other aspects of actually running the business. So, mm. you know, just like your pro basic things like your profit and loss, right. your margins, um, inventory, you know, buying inventory up front versus on demand, which for people who have health supplement companies, right, you can negotiate even for custom formulations. You can generally negotiate for somebody to, to do it for you where they take the, the cost up front and then you, they just, you only pay them when you sell units of your supplement. Sure. And so I didn't really know that first. So I had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars locked into inventory. I hired a developer who was kind of borderline, like abusive, not physically, but where he tried to, there's an out of the box CRM solution that worked great. And he was kind of like egotistical and like, let me, I'll build a better one. I can do it in like a month. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Like, let's do it. And then, you know, it's like three months, four months, five months. And the CRM he's built hasn't worked. I've invested like almost a hundred thousand dollars in it. I can't track the data. So I don't know if my you know, stuff is good or not. And, and finally I fired the guy, did the out of the box solutions and that all really, you know, it worked. <laughs> that worked. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, affiliates was huge. I mean, joining, going to masterminds, I went to a mastermind and like, I guess it would have been May of 2015. Okay. 20, 2016, actually, I think uh, Ed O'Keefe, who I think you and I both know pretty well, right? Uh, one of his events, and somebody was like, introduced me to some affiliate partners who then were able to run where I didn't have to buy my traffic. People would, you know, take the risk and then you only pay them if it converts. And that really helped a lot. We had a couple of early affiliates who started getting a lot of traction with our offers. And, um, you know, then I guess the, the more things are just, monetizing the email was really important like the data like building relationships with the customers sure uh and I, eventually putting the subscription would be another one and then also okay. actually one more just to, to was getting the, the average order values up which i wish i'd done earlier because i was maybe 140 to 150 dollar average order value for the until mid the i don't know mid, early 2017 to even the middle of 2017 and then Finally, I figured out that I could get my average order value up by 50 to $100, and the margins were significantly 
better. But had right. I known that, I could be sitting here instead of twenty three million, it could have been you know thirty three million or forty million, and with much more profit. So, yeah, I know it's a lot, but those are some of the things that I I learned on the average. Like, what were some of the techniques, or I guess cop, or maybe it was copy or whatever. But what did you utilize then to almost add another hundred dollars to your average order value? Yeah. So the really interesting thing is like I I knew um, there's another sort of supplement sales letter that I knew had a really good average order value. So I kind of looked at what they did and, and then implemented it in mine. But as funny as it sounds, like a huge part of it was actually just telling people over and over again in the sales copy to pick like the uh, six bottle option. So you wouldn't, and, and it sounds so obvious, but you know, from the very beginning, you know, if you have a call to action, it's like, you know, shoot, scroll down and uh, you know, click on the six bottle package or whatever package is right for you. Right. Uh, things like that, you know, or like, and that's why so many people end up getting the six month supply. I, who the spokesperson is, was like a doctor. Like I recommend people get the six month supply. Just a bunch of that language. Like you don't want to go so overboard that people are afraid to ever get the a single bottle or a three bottle, sure. you know, option. I mean, this is this is for neutral. But you can do the same thing with if you sell coaching and you have like a gold level and a platinum level. Uh, just really directly telling people repeatedly to take the highest package. That was honestly as funny as it sounds. That was a huge part of it. And then. And the design of the sales copy, if you know, for a supplement, for example, instead of showing a, a bottle, a single bottle graphic, when you introduce it, show six bottles. And then every mm. time you're showing it, show six bottles. So okay. you're kind of psychologically seeding and then sure. this idea of getting uh, you know, a higher quantity. Yeah. You know, you got started reluctantly <laughs> in real estate. And what um how did you go from, I guess, being, you know, real in real estate sales to you know, now it's, you know, the one of the largest companies out there. I was super lucky, honestly. I, uh, and by the way, that's the other thing about hitchhiking around the world. You realize Providence is one of my favorite words and how often Providence would show up and help us with a ride that we needed when we were hitchhiking or, uh, with food when we were starving or to repair our tent when our tent had been torn apart. The amount of, uh, Goethe says that it, be bold and strange forces will come to your aid and, and, and in business, I just got lucky. I joined Keller Williams with my mom as an agent and I was the fifth, uh, she was the fifth agent at Keller Williams. I was probably the 800th agent today. There's 180,000. So after three years of selling real estate, working with my mom and we became the number one team in the third year working together. But again, she had a great reputation and a great practice to begin with. I got sick of selling. I didn't want to sell real estate anymore. Well, the company happened to be expanding very fast. So um, they asked me to go, you know, they mentored me and groomed me to go open franchises. And I was able to get coaching from Mo Anderson and Gary Keller and Mark Willis and all these early people in Keller Williams that went on to be fabulously successful. But at that time, I think, you know, I don't, Gary was losing money on the company. Mo had taken a risk joining it. And, you know, these were all very humble beginnings for these folks that I have to get so much time from. And then I just went up to North Texas, New Mexico. I had very little money. My mom backed me and my, you know, we opened franchises together. I was the operator. She was the wisdom and the money and the reputation. And, um, we just start, slowly started to build and, and I went very aggressive in it and I grew as fast as I could. And uh, after about five years, I guess I, I bought my mom out and then I expanded and bought all these master franchises territories. Keller Williams hired me to come back to Austin, be the president of Core Services. And it really just blew up from there. And I, I think the only thing I did was using that awareness from hitchhiking around the world or anything of being an entrepreneur, I just took advantage of everything I could. So I bought, 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 I bought more franchises. I failed at them. I was terrible at first, but over time by going all in, 
um, I was able to build a pretty large business. And I didn't do it to say I would be the fourth largest residential real estate company in the US. I just did it because it was right there in front of me. It seemed like the thing to do, just like hitchhiking around the world. Uh, when I was in South Africa, it seemed like the thing to go do was go to Nairobi. And once I decided I didn't like sales and I started opening franchises, it seemed like it was just as easy to open many as it was to open one. And it was just the next thing to do. So uh, that kind of byproduct of opening all those franchises led to being number one. But I can't say I went in with a strategy of building the number one real estate company inside Keller Williams. Sure. What were kind of some of the biggest successes to get you guys from zero in the US to, I think you said 20 million a month now in, in sales that are been coming in through the platform. Um, what were some of those key things? Um, obviously, you said the onboarding and making it easy and bringing more affiliates in, but what was kind of like that next thing that keeps people coming back and, and, and working with you guys? You know, I, I think really having a great, uh, having a great sales team mm. has been really helpful. Uh, we, we, like in, in 2020, you, you couldn't really grow the business like you would traditionally want to, right? right? We, couldn't, we couldn't do any in-person, you know, things or very little, and you weren't going to build great relationships with people. So I just went and searched for people that, um, you know, kind of already have relationships that we wanted mm -hmm. in our business. And that really helped us grow and, you know, get through the pandemic because, yeah, like this business was upside down and you know so we just yeah. wanted to take advantage of of you know any way we could grow and you know having a great sales team um having a great you know leadership team having some you know really key sales and marketing and operations people you know that that, that really helped our business grow you know over the last year and just you know once you have like you know we in, in one year, we've pretty much built out a whole sales, marketing, operations, HR, and onboarding team. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so yeah, you yeah, had a handful going there. <laughs> we, we, we went from about, you know, five people at the start of the year to 60 by the end of the year. Wow. Um, so, it, you know, it, it was it was kind of crazy. Um, but but yeah, I, I think, you know, just just having the right people in the right positions, being able to build out, you know, like being able to like hiring the right people with the right network, being able to build out, you know, a team, you know, of, of people that are maybe more familiar with each other, you know, it, it really helps grow fast, you know, grow a company fast. And I think, you know, going, you know, I, I think obviously once you have the right sales team in place, then it's just a matter of going after who we want to target. And so, we we had a, a lot of different relationships in place already that we just reached out to and you know then we since we had the onboarding team in place it just makes it that much easier for for people to um, work with us and scale because Digi Store is really made for scaling like it's it's not like a platform where oh I'm just going to do ten thousand dollars a month in sales you can do that and it, it works great but like it's a platform where you can literally take a business from fifty thousand a month to 500,000 a month to 5 million a month without any major hiccups. Awesome. So. And that's 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 the plat that's the 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 road I'm on. <laughs> yeah. With you guys. Yeah. yeah, and and you know that's why we built out an affiliate team too because we want we want our vendors to be successful because our our whole business model, you know, is we're not successful until you are. 
You know, right. we, just, we just take a, a margin on sales, uh, but we're trying to actively grow your business too because it's in That's our interest. Awesome. So what, what was it like? I mean, obviously going from like 30 some employees to over 600 employees, um, there's different, lots of different sets of dynamics along that journey. Uh, you, you know, when you, when you hit 50 or a hundred, when you hit a couple hundred and, you know, kind of fill us in on that. So imagine you're driving down the highway going 90 and your hair's on fire. That's kind of what it feels like. Uh, you know, it's what got you there won't get you there. And so, you know, what worked with 35 doesn't work with a hundred and what, what, you know, with a hundred doesn't work with 600. And so sure. even the dynamics of bringing, you know, new employees and integrating them into the company, you know, at one point you were hiring out a clip at about 150 people a year. And, and wow. so it constantly changes the, as the ship gets bigger, it gets less and less nimble. Right. And those are some of the biggest challenges that you overcome because, you know, you're, you got now all of a sudden you have 300, 400 people you're responsible for. You don't want to really rock the boat and shift too much. But man, technology moves so quickly and marketing moves so quickly that you have to be constantly pivoting. And that can be a major challenge when you're that big. And so we tried to stay uh, small as we possibly could and as nimble and, and uh, as minimal bureaucracy as possible. But um, sometimes it's just inevitable. As you get bigger, you need to really put in chain of command and and really learn how to put p key people in places that um, can drive the business or certain arms of the business, you know, the direction you need to go. What's um, a couple uh, things you would really want to leave people with? Like, guys, this is what I really think is going to really help you right now today. You know, being an entrepreneur, uh, you know, helping you get more focus, less distraction. Sure. Yeah. So look, I, I've been a CEO twice. I've helped start two companies. And, uh, you know, let me tell you, your only job as a CEO, you have only one job. Your only job is to prioritize. That's all you have to do. Mm. You just have to prioritize. And I see, you know, I'm also an angel investor. I've been an angel investor for over, well over a decade now. And I constantly see people screw up their companies because they don't have the ability to follow through, to do what they say they are going to do, even when they know the answer, right? <laughs> I mean, part of what's, start, what's difficult about starting a company is that when you don't know what to do, but how many times do we know what to do and we just can't execute? So being able to be the kind of person who does what they say they're going to do, that's the kind of person that people wanna invest in, that's the kind of person that people work with. It's really this super skill, this macro skill, in all areas of our life to be indistractable, to be the kind of person who does what they say they're going to do. And so the key here, the mantra I want people to remember is that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought, okay? The reason you're not getting done what you wanna do, whether it's if you don't spend enough time in contemplation, meditation, prayer, taking care of your body, taking care of your family, following through on your business, the reason you don't do that is because of an impulse control problem. Right. Time management is pain management. Right. And so the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. One of the things that we can do better than any other animal on the face of the earth is that we can see the future with greater fidelity. We can predict what is going to happen better than any other animal on the face of the earth. So we need to use that power. Because if you wait till the last minute, if you depend on willpower and self-discipline, and self-control, that stuff is BS. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because look, if the chocolate cake is on the fork on its way to your mouth, you're gonna eat it. If the <laughs> right. cigarette is lit in your hand, you're gonna smoke it. If your cell phone is on your nightstand and you sleep next to it every night, it's gonna be the first thing you reach for in the morning. 
So the antidote is to plan ahead. You don't need willpower. You don't need self-control. You need a system. I'll, I'll be really transparent sure. and uh, super open here. About a year and a half ago, I started waking up and my soul hurt. Mm. And I didn't realize this until uh, a couple of weeks ago. I okay. could finally articulate it. But I had outgrown who I was. Wow. I'd outgrown who I was, what I was doing, why I was doing it, and okay. who I was doing it for. And um, now that I've been able to articulate this and have I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of friends as business owners uh, and entrepreneurs, that happens. We go sure. through all kinds of reinvention opportunities. Right. But the question is, what do you do with that? Because in the process, it's not uncommon for, uh, if you don't listen to that, right. um, pretty soon your health starts to go, your marriage can go, or the most meaningful relationships sure. you start resenting what you do and who you do it for and i can see that in in the faces and eyes of right. people i know and um and there aren't a lot of resources available to to support that transition and make that happen that that reinvention and um i listened and i i operated i, I did something about it and that's really that's where yeah. i decided to shift direction, shift focus, and actually support other people who are like, holy cow, I need to, I need to listen to right. that. I need to go to the next level. And um, I started working with business owners, helping them in that transition. And um, it's been profound for me. It's been profound for them as well. So I think the, the, the question, I don't even know how to package this. <laughs> what do you do when yeah. you don't know what to do and when you outgrow yourself? Sure. And, um, and it's like, that is the next stage in your, in your evolution. And you've got to listen to that. You've just got to listen to it so you can be your very best you. I think the one thing that I would really recommend to everybody is that when we talk about systems for networking, systems for sales, and look, while I'm the first one to probably come out there and say introverts make the best salespeople, the best networkers, I'm also not the only, I mean, Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI, the world's largest networking group, 10,000 membership groups across the country, is a personal friend of mine, and he's an introvert. Zig Ziglar is an introvert. So the truth is there are other experts that are introverted that you can learn off, but make sure you learn off an introverted expert. The second thing is do not learn sales, networking, public speaking like martial, mixed martial arts, right? It gets confusing. Focus on keeping it simple, right? Forget about all the bells and whistles. Follow the Henry Ford methodology. He used to say you can have any color car you want as long as it's black because he didn't want to get involved in anything else outside making sure the production line ran smoothly. And then once he did, then he, he offered other things into the, the vehicles that you now see today. But the truth is you've got to start by just focusing on one system, one methodology. And in regards to how people can find out more about me, I mean, I would suggest you start there. So, you know, firstly, by the way, we can only cover a touch, a small amount of what, you know, I, I yeah. cover in, on my YouTube channel. So you're welcome to go to YouTube and there's a ton of free content. I learned on YouTube, so I repay the favor heavily by providing a huge amount of value there. Connect with me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter, on, on Facebook. I provide a ton of free videos out that way as well. But what I would really recommend people doing is checking out uh, my books, The Introvert's Edge and The Introvert's Edge to Networking. And my publisher hates me when I say this. You don't need to buy my books. If you go to theintrovertsedge.com, you'll be able to download the first chapter of my sales book. And there I literally outline the seven steps to a sale. And if you do nothing more than look at what I currently say, 
put what you currently, sorry, the seven headings, put what you currently say into that. Firstly, you'll realize some things don't fit. Throw that out, you shouldn't be saying that to clients. Then you'll realize there's some things out of order and then there's some gaping holes, usually around asking the right questions and, and telling great stories. If you do nothing more than fill in those gaps and fill up the structure, you'll double your sales in the next 60 days. And again, that's at theintrovertsedge.com. My second book, you can download the first chapter at theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking. And again, I give you the same structure. Again, if you just follow the system, you'll easily, and I would say you'll 4X your networking because most introverts are pathetic networkers. And in truth, you can be amazing at it as long as you stop ignoring that you've got to go and then begrudgingly walk in completely unprepared. That is a you know, an absolute strategy to fail. And it's the reason why you walk out thinking networking doesn't work and you always end up talking to that insurance salesperson, that a real estate person that you don't wanna be talking to. So if you do some planning beforehand at theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking with that free chapter, you will transform your networking overnight. I am Josh Felber. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.